This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney, and today on the download, we have markets kind of going uh, a little a little bit better directions than we have in past weeks. We have some uh, good news on a few geopolitical fronts, so let's get into it. Uh, we have the Dow uh, future surging nearly 400 points as Russia says they are removing some troops from the Ukrainian border, which is a fantastic news um, on the subject besides just the uh, implications of what that means for the markets, uh, the rising tensions between Russia, Ukraine and the broader world in general have been something that have been closely watched by uh, everyone really in the world and specifically investors looking looking really towards what it means uh, primarily in the energy sector as this area of the world is a large exporter of natural gas and petroleum products. So seeing that some of the indications that are that are going towards a de-escalation of some of these tensions is fantastic news um, on, on many fronts, hoping that the uh, the world can kind of get on a better footing and hopefully there is uh, no bloodshed and also that the, uh, the securities markets aren't going to be rocked as much as previously thought with these things going on. On tech news, we have Intel reaching a $5.4 billion deal to buy Tower Semiconductors, a large manufacturer of different Um, printed circuit board uh, microconductors that uh, is falling right in line with larger acquisitions such as Sony's purchase of the intellectual property of Bungie and Microsoft's purchase of Activision, marking a very busy first quarter of 2022 for acquisitions of companies that are going around. We're still seeing some languishing on the uh, telecommunications front with some large purchases of companies being held up by the Department of Justice, but we shall see what happens in that sector as there are some big deals left on the table on other sectors when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. We're seeing Virgin Galactic uh, Spaceflight Company, the uh, the arm of Virgin owned by Richard Branson that has dealt with uh, low Earth orbit low earth orbit travel for wealthy consumers jumping significantly after reservations have spiked uh, for the $450,000 reservations that uh, have been going on with that company. The company seeing a 12 and a three quarter percent jump in their share price after trading on Monday. Now, Things with COVID, as we always have to do, at least touch on that a slight bit, are going in a few different mixed directions. We're still seeing very high inflation figures, specifically when looking at the consumer pricing index. Now, some of these inflation numbers are being driven by a number of different factors besides just COVID. We have the uh, large protests going on in Canada with truck drivers, which are hemming up manufacturing goods, which are driving some costs higher in the United States. But we are seeing that some of these things are calming down a bit. But the U.S. inflation factors that were such a concern back in the 80s, we still have not met some of those metrics. Now, we are seeing some mandates for covid being leaned up on. However, some good, some maybe not so good. Walmart is ending their mask mandate requirement for vaccinated workers and paid COVID leave is expected to follow shortly thereafter. 
We have the Olympics still going on with a slight bit of controversy regarding Russian figure skating and doping allegations, although not necessarily something that is directly affecting financial markets, definitely still something interesting to look out for. So to look forward in the week, hopefully we will see a continued resurgence with the futures trading continuing to trade high, which will have a better implication for present value stock, stock trading, and the rest of the markets hopefully continuing to go in a similar fashion. Now, one last item that I will speak on, a lot of interest has been uh, coming up in the recent uh, weeks and months on precious metals. And I just wanted to touch on what those values were sitting at today. We're seeing the 30-day price performance of gold up 1.82% as of the recording of this on Tuesday, February 15th. The six-month uh, gold is up 4.1% and gold over the past year is up 1.8%. So some interesting things to look at, precious metals typically always being a being seen as a safe haven and a good hedge on inflation when uh, there are very specific market factors affecting price of goods and manufacturing. But overall, the price increase not being as wild, not being as crazy as many people have been making it out to seem, but still interesting nonetheless. This has been The Download. Today on The What Is, what is a royalty? A royalty is a legally binding payment made to an individual or company for ongoing use of their assets, including copyrighted work, franchises, and natural resources. An example of royalties would be payments received by musicians when their original songs are played on the radio or television, used in movies, performed at concerts, bars, and restaurants, or consumed via streaming services. In most cases, royalties are revenue generators specifically designed to compensate the owner of songs or property when they're licensed of their assets for another party's use. Specifically, at least in the podcast today, this will be focused on oil and gas. This has been The What Is. Welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney, and today we have on Jim Heiser, which H- with H3NRG, we're going to be talking about oil and gas royalties and how to invest in this type of investment structure. It's definitely a new uh, class for me. I have a lot of experience in doing uh, private equities, real estate, mortgage lending, and the like, but I always love having on new guests that can kind of give us a insight into something that is, you know, certainly a great option for some people and some things that people uh, haven't heard of maybe or want some more information on. So, Jim, thanks for being on with us today. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, so give us a little bit about your background and how you kind of came, came to be at uh, H3 and uh, what your uh, career trajectory looked like up until this point. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. Uh, I started out actually out of college as a CPA, um, not doing taxes, but do you know, big, big bank, uh, CPA work, uh, more analytical. Um, didn't really like it, became a financial planner in the mid nineties and had my own, ultimately ended up having my own firm <clears throat> for, you know, 15 years or so. After I got my client's money back in 08, 09, I was looking for alternative assets um, and I found oil and gas royalties, which originally I'm from North Carolina where, you know, there's no oil and gas. So I didn't know what the heck this stuff was and went out to Texas, um, you know, with a company and, and learned all about it. 
and just thought it was the best asset I'd ever seen. Subsequently, the following year in 2010, sold my practice to start managing these, these assets for hedge funds and endowments and foundations. Um, you know, a couple of different shops uh, after the cra price crashes in 2015, uh, oil price crashes and, and um, connected with uh, my partners now a couple of years ago. Awesome, great. So what kind of sector does H3 focus on? So we only do oil and gas royalties. We don't do working interest or drilling. And within the royalty space, we only deal with producing royalties, which we'll get into in a few minutes. So we stay, in, in other words, we stay on the conservative end of the, of the pool. We don't get into the risky stuff. Gotcha, great. So, I mean, the first thing I want to start off by asking you is uh, what are oil and gas, uh, what are oil and gas royalties? That's a good question. So there, you'll hear the two, two terms thrown around a lot in, in this space. You'll hear minerals and you'll hear royalties. And let me just take a few minutes to explain the difference. So minerals are the subsurface deeded title real estate. So if you think about you know, a large ranch in Texas, everything below the surface is technically mineral. If they're, you know, when the oil and gas company says, hey, I wanna drill a, a well on this ranch, they negotiate with the mineral rights owners, not the surface right owners. The mineral rights owners have, um, they get to make the decision whether or not they sign a lease with the oil and gas company, not the surface right owner. Now. Having said that, once they negotiate that lease, there'll be a royalty percentage paid to the mineral owners for all of the production of that well and subsequent wells. The surface owner has a couple of protections. They will get paid for the road access to the well site. They will get paid for the couple of acres for the pads. Um, and there's rules, you know, you can't put it so many feet from their house, et cetera. Uh, but they don't get to participate in the production of that well. They don't get a royalty just being the surface rights owner. And this country is, Canada does it a little bit. We're not really familiar with Canada. I think Australia does. But other than that, we're the only country that allows individual property rights to own the minerals. Every other country is the government. Okay, cool. So if, and that kind of brings up an interesting point that I, I'm kind of confused on is that you know, let's say I go out to Texas, you know, I live in Florida and I buy 15 acres of property. Now that doesn't inherently give me rights to the minerals, right? I own what you mentioned as the surface rights, correct? If I bought that 15 acre plot of land, I would just own the surface rights, correct? In general, if just getting a regular deed. It depends. That's a good, that's a really good question. It depends because uh, several years ago, and you can go look this up after the call, Several years ago, a very large home builder in the U.S. lost a lawsuit where they were severing the mineral rights underneath the, the housing developments they were, they were building, unbeknownst to the housing owners, the people buying the houses. Uh, it was not disclosed. So <laughs> you may sure. own it, you may not own it. 
Yeah. Gotcha. And that's and essentially if someone is, you know, maybe just getting into this, if you just want to go buy property in a state that may have rich minerals, it's something that you need to look at and have that discussion with whomever is, you know, maybe selling the property or the realtor or the title company to see, you know, what exactly right. you're buying. Because what you're saying is that it's not always a package deal. If you buy the surface dirt, you may not own, you know, more than, you know, five feet of the topsoil. Uh, and if you actually are buying that to try to make a mineral rights or gas and oil play, you need to make sure that right. what you're buying includes that because they might be detached from one another, correct? Correct. However, if you're buying a home, let's say in a geologic, known geological play where there's oil and gas wells existing, it's highly unlikely you're going to get the minerals with it. Um, when they developed the Bakken in North Dakota several years ago, when they first started developing it, there were mineral rights owners that own, and service rights owners. There were some that owned both. There were some that didn't own both. But a lot of the mineral rights owners owned a huge portion of the minerals. You know, in West Texas and, and the Haynesville and, and East Texas and West Louisiana and up in the Marcellus in Ohio, West Virginia and Pennsylvania, and out in the DJ in Colorado and Wyoming, there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of mineral owners. Now, at the oil and gas company, it all has to add up to 100%. But oftentimes you, you are seeing, uh, you're, we're acquiring 1%, two, less than 2% of, of any, of you know, the total acreage, if you will. Okay. Gotcha. So um, essentially what most people are looking at, you know, if you're investing in the one, the one oil and gas area I know is called the Permian Basin. I believe that that's Texas, correct? Yep, West Texas. West so Texas. If, hmm? Yeah. If, if you go buy a chunk of land out in the Permian Basin in West Texas, you know, you're probably just buying the surface and someone else holds the mineral rights, but Most is, likely. yeah. So, but, but in that case, there is still a play for you to get royalties off of people that are, you know, pulling those minerals out of the ground. And that's kind of the area that y'all operate in. Is that correct? Or do you get more into the other stuff or is it kind mm -hmm. of just the people that have, you know, getting royalties and, and other things like that off of the topsoil that they own? So, well, there's no royalties off the topsoil. Um, that's all off the production of wells drilled and paid to the mineral rights owners. The royalty is just the percentage of the, of the oil and gas coming out of the ground every month. And it varies by basin. Um, some, some basins are 12 and a half percent, some are 20. So cool. it just depends on where you're at. Uh, but that 20% or 12 and a half percent has is, is for the, all of the mineral rights owners. It's not just for you. Okay. Um, okay. You know, you have your percentage of the 12 and a half or 20% royalty. Gotcha. Awesome. And so for us, us at H3, we actually have, um, we, our sourcing for deals is organic and direct. We, we only deal with the actual landowners, the sellers. We don't deal with brokers and we have inventory, typically 20 to $30 million of this of deals a month. And it's all over the country. Okay, cool. So how exactly do oil and gas rights fit into a portfolio? You know, it's easy enough for people to say, hey, you know, real estate should be part of your portfolio or, you know, securities, bonds, mutual funds, things like that. But, you know, as far as right. anything I've ever experienced, you know, saying, hey, oil and gas royalties or, or mineral rights, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm just kind of staring at a wall going, okay, great. I understand the words, but what exactly what does that, that mean? So, <laughs> so what kind of placement do these have in a portfolio and what kind of, you know, things do these return uh, on those? Give us a little bit of insight on that. Sure. That's a great question. So 
Right now, the returns that we are, are, are able to deliver to investors are between 10 and 15 percent. Um, and, and I'll get into how we calculate that in just a second. But because I want to answer your question first, how does it fit into a portfolio? This asset is a multi-generational cash flow asset. The wells typically will pay out. If you have them engineered, let's say when a well is first drilled and you get a petroleum engineer to analyze it and say, okay, how long is it going to produce? Um, that engineering report will, will say 30 to 50 years. Um, that does not include all of the organic upside, which I'll get into in a minute, but it is a multi-generational cash flowing asset. It, it provides income, monthly income. Whether oil prices go up or down, you're getting paid every month. So where does it fit into a portfolio? It could easily compete with bonds. It does not have the volatility of the stock market. Um, but the downside to owning deeded title real estate is it's deeded title real estate. You can't, you know, call your broker up or call your, uh, you know, car, go on Charles Schwab and sell, sell it and get your money in three days. It's, it's a process. You, you know, you have to sell it. There are a couple of auction firms that can sell it to, pretty quickly, but then you're at the mercy of the highest bidder. We always have people calling us looking for this stuff. So we, you know, we could probably get you out within say a couple of months. So it's not as liquid as your other assets. So, you know, don't put 50% of your stuff here if, if, if you're not comfortable with that, but it certainly has a, a, a place in a portfolio um, for it's a hard asset. So it's not correlated to the financial markets. It is income producing. It is inherently, by the nature of what it is, where the income's coming from, is inherently an inflation hedge because most inflation is caused by energy. Um, certainly, yeah. there's some labor that can go in there too, but it's mostly energy. So you brought up people think of food costs, but yeah. the reason the food prices go up is because the energy costs to produce the food went up. Sure, absolutely. And, and it brought up kind of an interesting point that, I, and I'm certainly very curious about, is that the, 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 the price correlation between having, you know, like people think of, you know, gas prices, they see, you know, barrel of oil is at, is at X. So how does that play into, you know, the pricing and, and the royalty pricing for this? Is it always, is it always typically, or does it change? Is it just kind of a fixed rate of saying, Hey, we're going to pay, you know, X for the amount of production coming out of this. Uh, how is that kind of calculated on when you look at the cash flow? Uh, which is, you know, yep. what, you're, what you're indicating is kind of one of the features of this. It is a cash flowing asset. It's not necessarily something you hold for like an appreciable value play. It's more of a cash, it's more of a cash flow play. So how do those it is, things it is. correlate? You, so where we play in the conservative space of, of royalties is a cash flowing asset. You can certainly buy mineral rights where there's oil and gas, but no wells. That is more of a capital gains down the road. We hope to drill a well play. But you, as a mineral rights owner, you can't call up an oil and gas company and say, hey, you need to drill my, my acreage. You can't do that. They, they won't even listen to you. So it is, that is pure speculative, which we don't deal with. Other people do, but we don't. Um, how a royalty check is calculated, I think will explain the, you know, what you, answer your question. So when you look at your royalty check, it is simply how much oil or gas or both did the well produce times the commodity, <clears throat> excuse me, times the commodity price. <clears throat> it won't be exactly the price you see on the, you know, on Bloomberg, 
because it'll be, you know, they've got to have, there's a little bit of a cost to get it to market from the well might be in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then they get the gross amount pay, paid, excuse me. Sorry. Um, so then you get the gross amount paid. Uh, then they take off a few deductions. You might have ad valorem or property taxes taken out. Depends on where you're at in the country and what operator. And you may have a few marketing um, fees, you know, but it's typically the net to the royalty owners is typically 91% of the gross. So it's not a lot that comes out. Um, and then the time multiplies by your ownership percentage. That's your check. So it's production times price times ownership percentage, essentially. And that's paid out on a, so, on a monthly basis, typically for these types of assets, correct? Correct, correct. Okay, great. Whether so, the oil and gas company goes bankrupt on paper, uh, it doesn't matter. Those wells keep producing. You still keep getting paid. Gotcha. Well, I guess that's, a, that's an interesting point because the, the there's an operator of the well, correct? So correct. The, the solvency, I guess, talk, how, how does that exactly work, though, of the solvency of the company that's operating the well? Because, you know, if the person operating it doesn't manage it. I mean, how, how does that kind of work? You know, you mentioned the solvency of, of the company doesn't matter too much. How exactly does that play out? You know, let's say the company, you know, goes out of business or something. How are these things picked up right. and how, how does that work exactly? So if you have a small mom and pop operator that goes out of business, uh, you may, you know, those wells may go offline, but typically somebody's going to come in and buy those assets so they don't stop producing which we, we hardly ever see uh, minerals under small mom and pop um, you know, companies. We're usually dealing with the big boys um, or, and big girls too. So bigger companies, they might go bankrupt on paper. You know, Chesapeake or uh, EOG goes bankrupt because they racked up too much debt. The stock goes to zero, but the company keeps chugging along. Wells keep producing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it, that's something I never really thought of because you know, essentially, you're you're negotiating a contract with you know a company to pull this stuff out of the ground. You know, they just don't swing by and it's already packaged up nicely for them. You know, someone's got to you right. know suck it out of the ground and then you know ship it off. Somebody's got to drill it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, somebody's got to spend the you know eight million dollars to drill it. So, what are kind of some of the you know long-term effects of this? Uh, you had mentioned kind of in in our outline of what we're talking about, you know, between you know things like prices, and you mentioned things like infill drilling uh, formations and things like that. What is what do some yeah. of those things mean to the investor if they're coming in? And I'm sure, like you know, if if someone just Google searches this, these are things they're going to see. I don't really know much about it and I didn't do any more research because I wanted to have you kind of explain it to me so I would know how to formulate my questions. But what do some of those things mean <laughs> uh, to, to the investor when they're looking at, you know, researching this and seeing what it means as far as, you know, more of a long-term cash flow play instead of like you mentioned, this really isn't so much of a speculation or capital gains play of the, you know, long-term right. cash flow of, of how it fits in a portfolio. So, so when we first acquire a, a deal, an asset, and we tell the investor, you know, we can deliver you a 12% yield. Where do we get that number? Well, what we've done is we have taken the seller's previous, call it two to six month check stubs, averaged them, whatever was net to the seller, whatever they could go deposit in the bank, average them, multiply by 12 and divide it to the investor's investment. You know, if they invested 100K, then that that annualized um, monthly royalty would be 12 grand, okay? 
So going forward, though, how is that impacted? So you've got organic growth from multiple angles on this asset. One, commodity price. If, we, if you go on to the Energy Information um, Administration, which is basically a government entity, on their website and look up the average monthly oil prices, which they've got going back decades, you can go back the last six months and average it. You're going to come at about 75, 80 bucks. Well, we're at 90 today, right? Just about every investment bank and Wall Street bank is calling for 100 or $120 oil this year and 120 to $150 oil next year. So let's say you bought an average cash flow producing 12%, but the average oil price was only 75 bucks. And two years from now, the price has doubled. What does that do to your yield? It doesn't quite double it, and I'll explain why in just a minute, but it's definitely gone up significantly. So there's organic growth from the pricing, commodity price increase. The, the other areas of organic growth is first and foremost, if you did like an MRI of the subsurface down to the core of the earth, in, in, the, in, in the business, it's called a 3D seismic, but it's like an MRI. And you looked at how many geological formations where there's oil and gas at different la layers below the surface. The well that you're, you, you've acquired is in one of those formations. In most, if not all of the formations, especially the large ones around the country, there are five to 10 pay zones that they can go back and drill into. Maybe this well is producing at 8,000 feet below the surface and they can go and drill at 10,000 and 12,000 and 15,000 and 6,000 in the future, whenever they feel like it's economically feasible to do so. So there's more organic growth from there. That's number two. And then there's several others as well. So what else is when they first start drilling uh, the acres that, that you're in, and maybe you're only in five acres, but they typically will pool 640 acres into what's called a unit where they drill and then everybody gets paid accordingly, uh, just doing the math. So let's say they start drilling a 640 acre unit and they drill the first well. Well, they might drill the second well, you know, pretty far apart because they certainly don't want it to interfere with the first well. And as over time, as they start to understand the geology, I mean, they have geophysicists on staff. They know it pretty well, but you don't really know it until you drill a well and see what's happening, right? So they drill the first couple of wells pretty far apart. Once they understand the geology, they, they will typically go back and drill in between those wells. They will reduce the spacing between the wells. That's called infill drilling. Um, and they, they figure out, okay, we can be a little closer together without the wells interfering with each other. Because what you don't want to do is have a producing well, drill the second one, and then the first one goes away because your second one messed it up, right? It starts drawing the pressure out. Sure. And this whole concept... So that's, that, go ahead. Go ahead. So the go whole ahead. concept of the, of the infill drilling is to increase production because that's what's directly going to affect the the investor's bottom line is the more production they have from the area that they've purchased the the mineral rights or the royalties for right. the higher the rate of return because you talked about that multiplier it's like what volume times the spot price minus ancillary costs right. like taxes fees and, and stuff like that so the the idea right. is is that 
you know, you're buying the- They drill another team. well, you get paid. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned- so the more of, wells they drill, you get paid. Yeah. So uh, you, and there's, a, there's another way to actually get organic growth. Okay. So when they drill the first well, you've got this well that's producing, maybe it's been online, you know, six or seven years. They, we know from history that, you know, you think about when you drill a well, the pressure is extremely high when you first open that, that rock, right? To get the oil and gas out. And because the pressure is so high, the volume is really high. From that point forward, unless it's a vertical well, the old school way, unconventional versus horizontal fracking, where the pressure is extremely high, the production is going to drop significantly in the first two years. Okay, we all, we know this. Everybody everybody understands this because the pressure drops, the, the amount of production drops, and it drops. It, it depends. Every well is different. Every formation is different. Oil is different from gas, but just bank on a 60, 70, 80% drop in two years. When we're first acquiring these things, we want to be past that. We don't want to invest in a well that was a year old and still have another 40% drop coming next year. We don't want that. We'll typically you know, buy these things three years past, but every well will go down in production. Eventually that, that drop in production, it, it curves like, it's almost like the first hill of a roller coaster. That's what it looks like. But then it, instead of going up again, it just levels off and it's flat. It, the, the monthly or the annual declines eventually get down to six, seven, eight percent. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the organic growth with the price increase, it depends on where we are on that curve, right? Or did we just finish going down the first hill of the roller coaster or are we way down the track where, where it's about to slow down? Um, so if you get a double in price, production goes down 10 percent. You go from 12 to 24 percent in on your yield in price, but you got to back off 10 percent from the from the production decline. You're still looking at a 21, 22 percent yield from where you started. Okay. Which is the so, reason why people want to get in now, right? Exactly. So before it, oil goes to 150. <laughs> yeah, and and so y'all focus at least and tell me a little bit about kind of. One, what is the actual, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the generality of saying, hey, you know, if you invest in, quote, this, you know, here's how the production versus cost and everything else works into making your return. But if someone says, hey, you know, and and we're looking more towards the indicia of what the actual investment is, you know, what exactly are they getting? They say, okay, great, you know, it's, this makes sense, you know these wells produce, you're trying to get in after, you know, you kind of initially pop the cork. So you, you know, kind of like buying a used used car, you know, you buy a couple of years old, you get that depreciation, it still holds its value. Um, eventually everything does kind of dwindle away eventually, but you know, you want to get in when there's still good meat on that well. What exactly when someone comes in to this and says, okay, I'm, I'd like to invest in this, what exactly are they getting? Is it some type of like private placement? Are there deeds associated with this stuff? Are they recorded on public record? Um, you know, because that's, that's a lot of stuff that we deal is, is, you know, the hard assets, you know, tangible pieces right. of real estate, houses, mortgages. What exactly is this stuff and how is it, you know, delivered to the client as far as what they're getting for their investment? Good question. But I need to, I need to finish the, uh, the drop in production real quick on yeah, the organic growth. Sure. So when they first drill a well, um, they're only going to get out about 10 to 20% of what's known to be down below the surface. They, there is techniques, they've been around for decades to go back in and increase the pressure in that existing well, not drill a new well, go into the same well and increase the pressure. Every time they do that, 
you get another little hill on the roller coaster and then it goes down again. And they can do it two and three times. It's called secondary and tertiary recovery or enhanced oil recovery, EOR for short. Um, there's several methods of doing it. You can, you can pump CO2 in there. You can water flood the area uh, to make, cause oil, oil, you know, you put water in the well, um, oil will rise to the top. Uh, it floats on water. Uh, there's acid ways. There's a bunch of ways they know how to go in and do that. But even with all that technology, they still only know how to get out 30 to 40% of the known resource that's down there currently. Technology will improve, obviously, in the future. We don't know when. So there's, there's, that's the last piece of the organic growth puzzle. Um, getting back to your existing question, what are, what are they buy, what's an investor buying? Uh, it's a great question because we are not a Reg D offering. So you, there's no, it's not a limited partnership. There's no fees. It, you get the deeded title. You get the deed to the, to the, prop, to the asset or the property. We, how, how do we make money is if somebody invests $100,000, maybe we know how to buy the asset at, at eighty five to 90000 and we just make the difference. That's it. Um, but we, we will help process the deeds, get them recorded. So somebody signs a purchase and sale agreement, wires us the money. We then process the deeds for their signature, get them in, on file in the county courthouse or courthouses. Once the stamp deeds come back, then we notify the oil and gas company. Again, copying the investor on all of these emails so they're, they're in, the, in the loop. All the oil and, gas, oil and gas companies say, hey, there's a new owner. Um, what they then do is they freeze the monthly payments on that piece of the minerals it doesn't go away. It goes into what's called a suspense account or a trust account. And while what they have to do is then they will have their staff of title attorneys <clears throat> go back into the courthouse documents and make sure that yes, this is the new owner and this is the correct ownership percentage. Once they do that, they will release all of the monthly royalty payments from the suspense or trust account and start getting the new investor their monthly checks. That process at the oil and gas company can take anywhere from 90 days to six months, sometimes occasionally longer. Okay. And we are in touch with them all the time. We can't force their hand on how fast they move, but they typically will give us, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be about 60 days. They, they kind of let us know what they think it, when they think they'll be done. Sure, exactly. And just to kind of go back a little bit, when, when we're talking about deeds, these are deeds in relation to which part of this stack, the topsoil, the mineral rights, what, what part of mineral this? Rights. Mineral rights. Mineral rights. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Just, just wanted to make sure because I know a lot of people listening to this, at least that, excuse me, come through for us are, are very familiar with owning, you know, the house that goes on top of all this. So when people right. are when we're talking about this, we're talking about ownership of mineral rights. And that is, you know, and to kind of go back to the very beginning, it's almost always going to be different than the, 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 and what do you call that in your industry? What do you call like the very top of it? Topsoil or, or what's kind of the general term? Surface rights. Surface rights. So the mineral rights being different from the surface rights. And that's kind of a whole other, you know, ordeal because, you know, there, there is money, I, you know, like you said, that can be made by owning surface rights on just kind of like the land leasing for where the well goes and stuff. But what we're talking about is the mineral rights, which is returns based on production of the extraction of those minerals that you own the rights to, correct? Yes. Okay, great. So, you know, let's say someone's, you know, kind of interested in this, what exactly is the process, you know, besides just, you know, 
you know, coming to you, I mean, is there a fairly standardized contract process for purchasing these things? Is it something that's completely yep. like diametrically opposed to purchasing surface rights? Walk us through kind of the 30,000 foot view of, you know, someone saying, hey, you know, this sounds interesting. What does the process look like for acquiring this kind of stuff? So typically an investor says I'm interested, you know, our first question is going to be, okay, how much do you think you want to invest? Um, 200, 300, 400,000, whatever it is, could be 20 million. doesn't matter to us. We've got plenty of, of assets. So let's say it's 200,000 bucks. Then we will go through our inventory and, and put together um, or find a deal that we've got that fits the 200,000 category. You know, we put together the, the, the seller's check stubs so you can review them at least see that, hey, these are real. They are being paid, right? Um, we put a summary together of how many acres, uh, how many wells, how old are their wells, a, a map of where they are, um, just some summary bullet points, because that to us in, in, the, in the rolling gas royalty space, that's the, you know, like a realtor showing you a house on, you know, on, or you're looking at a house on Zillow or something. Mm -hmm. We do that before they sign a contract to buy. So the investor kind of gets to shop. Um, they don't last long. You can't take you know a month to, to think about it because it'll be gone. These things get, get gobbled up pretty quick. Uh, but they can also tell us, you know, I'd like a mixture of oil and natural gas in terms of cash flow. Uh, that's easier said than done the higher the dollar amount um, because it, at $100,000, you know, not a, there's not a lot of sellers that are really, really small that we might have to put two or three together to, to make, make the mixture of oil and gas. But however, having said that, there are some areas of the country where the wells produce both. So you get both automatically. Mm -hmm. um, so once we put that together, we send it over to the investor for their review. Certainly we're here for questions, to answer questions. Then they say, okay, we, we wanna buy this. Then we put the, the purchase and sale agreement together, which is, yeah, it's standard language in the contract book. All, all the attorneys even copy each other. They all look the same. Um, you sign that, you wire the funds, then we process the deed. It happens pretty quick. Yeah, no, definitely makes sense. Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Can, can you hear me, Jim? Alex? Uh, one sec. Can you, can you hear me or is the, Jim, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Ah, I can hear you now. Okay, great. <laughs> Yeah. So you kind of cut off on, uh, you know, at the point of saying, hey, uh, you know, it, the, the deed gets recorded. Um, so at that point, it's kind of where it cut off. And we'll edit this out a little bit. So, uh, yeah. okay. So, so from signing the purchase and sale agreement to getting the deed recorded, I mean, we're talking days, not weeks. That happens in a few days. Uh, you know, we send it over to the investor. They, they sign it. Um, it advance, or they give the authority for advantage to sign it because it's in their IRA. Uh, then funds get wired. Once the funds are received, then we, we draw up the deed, send that back over for advance and the investor to sign. Then we get them back and process them at the courthouse and with the operator. Courthouses usually take a couple of days to get the stamp deed back to us. And then, and then we can you know, call the operator up. Yeah, no, it doesn't take long. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, for, for places that are familiar with this, you know, it's, you know, they're all processing these kind of deeds in the same manner they're doing, you know, for every service day. Rights yeah. Stuff. They yeah. do it every day. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. 
And then how long are these contracts written up for? There's stuff that has to be renegotiated later on down the road. Are these things that you negotiate them on a yearly basis or is it like a two year, five year? How, how exactly does that kind of- That's a really good this? question. So these are perpetual ownership. You own them until you say you want to sell them. That's why it's multi-generational cash. You can deed them down, will them down to your family. Uh, and we are, uh, as far as us, the sellers coming to us are often second and third generation owners uh, through estates. Um, but, and I think it's important that we have the conversation about what to look out for. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you get, you know, hosed? Because <laughs> you can't if you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. So a couple of things that whether you, you acquire this through us or somebody else, you, here's a couple of things you want to look for. One is you want to make sure that you're buying an asset that goes to all depths, to the core of the earth. Oftentimes they are severed by death. I shouldn't say often, but there, there are some that do this. You, you, know, you only own down to a certain depth. Well, that's great if there's one well at, you know, 5,000 and, and okay, you're getting that one, but they, they might, the seller might say, well, I'm going to keep, or the broker usually does this, I'm going to keep everything below 5,000 feet. Well, that's not so good if all the other formations are below 5,000 feet. You don't get it. They drill a well two years from now at 7,000 feet. You get nothing. You don't want that. You want to own all depths. The, another thing to look out for is you do not want what's called well bore only. So think of your hundred acre ranch that you're going to move to it from Florida in Texas, right? And they, they got, they drilled 10 wells. If, if you wanted to buy a, the well, if you bought the well bore only on say those 10 wells and they drilled an 11th well, you don't get anything of the 11th well. Because you don't own the acreage, you only own the royalties off the actual well bores, the first ten. You don't want that either, <laughs> uh, unless you you know want to play in the risky end of the of the swimming pool. And then gotcha. there's kind of a, there's a going back to your original question with the timing. There is a we know of a few people that have started putting terms on these royalties. They'll sell it to you for ten years, and then it reverts ownership reverts back to them. Well, that's not what you want either. If you want a conservative, you know, multi-generational cash flow asset, how much are you going to make in 10 years? Are you going to get all your investment back? That's the question. First question I would ask. Yeah, absolutely. So so they're selling these things more on kind of like a long-term or perpetual lease type agreement rather than ownership. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Not even perpetual lease. It's when you own the minerals, you own the rights to to the, the oil and gas below the surface. You own it forever. If you have all depths and and the minerals, which may or may not have a well, in our case, they have all have producing royalties on them. You own it until you don't own it, until you say I want to sell it, which could be five generations from now. Yeah, absolutely. And and just uh, and I think that kind of covers a, a lot of the good stuff. I do have a kind of a few more specific questions that you know may or may not really kind of play into this kind of bringing in for a landing. But when we say minerals, you know, let's say you bought, you know, mineral rights on a certain piece of property, and then they found, let's say, coal or uranium or lithium or something else. Are these deeds right. scoped in the type of minerals that can be extracted? Or if you buy them, is it everything or does it vary? Uh, maybe you can touch on that a little bit. 
Yeah, it, it's everything, but I know for a fact there's coal royalties up in West Virginia, and I'm sure there is out, out West as well. That's not our wheelhouse. We don't, we don't see those. Um, I would presume there's mineral right, the mineral rights would apply to, you know, lithium or cobalt or copper, but I don't know if those are on federal lands, because if they're on federal lands, then the federal government's the, the mineral rights owner, not mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea because it's just not our wheelhouse. But mineral rights in general would be whatever they pull out of the ground. Yeah, and, and I kind of figured as much, but I'm assuming, you know, they're, just like with, with real estate, there's all sorts of different stuff that kind of goes into it. But that was just kind of one of those questions that popped into my mind yeah. that you know, I figure I might ask. I got, I, I got the expert on the call. Why, why, not, why not ask what somebody has to say? So, um, you know, we're kind of coming up on, on about a half hour. This is where we like to uh, cap them off. Uh, but I think it's been great information, Jim. I, I certainly have, have learned stuff. Um, I always am trying to be a constant um, student of anything that has to do with investing. So thanks for bringing some great information today. If people are interested in getting a little bit more information on mineral and gas mineral rights specifically with oil and gas uh, how can they get a hold of you and what else do you have going on sure so they can contact me at jim at h3nrg that stands for natural resource group nrg.com or they can call my cell at 704-907-1343 those are the two easiest ways to reach me um, what else do we have going on We've got 20 to $30 million in deal flow every month. So we're constantly talking to investors and constantly seeing assets. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you very much for being on with us today. This has been another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Alex Perney. Thank you for joining in today. And if you have any other questions or you'd like to get more information, you know how to get in touch with Jim. Or if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always call at 727-754-9954 or go to AdvantaIRA.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies. Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at AdvantaIRA.com and subscribe.